Hey, I'm Zach. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. I hope that it encourages you. I hope it challenges you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's Word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. And if you don't, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our community here at Restore, whether that's coming to one of our Sunday gatherings or coming to one of our Restore groups. Either way, we would love to see you. You can get more information about that on our website at RestoreAustin.org. And I hope you enjoyed this week's video. Uh, as Matt said, and as I said earlier, this morning we are in week three of our Family Values series. And again, this is important. We're calling this series Family Values because uh, these are things that our family, our church family, values. And so we say this all the time, but it's important. The church is not a building. The church is not chairs. The church is not a sermon or songs. The church is people. And these people are a family, and, and we consider you guys part of our big, awesome, sometimes messy church family. And so when we say family values, that's what we're talking about, things that our family here at Restore really, really values. And so we have four of them. Week one, we talked about grace. Week two, we talked about authenticity. And this week, we are talking about diversity. In 1960, on the TV show Meet the Press, Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, one of the most shameful tragedies of our nation is that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours in America. Obviously, Dr. King was speaking specifically about racial segregation, but unfortunately, his words ring just as true regarding segregation around class, around age, around lifestyle, and around background. This wasn't just true in 1960. According to research done in 2015, this continues to be the case in most churches. Most Western churches are homogenous in basically every way. And the research shows that the vast majority of attenders in these churches have no desire for things to change. That's self-reported. They have no desire to see their churches become more diverse. Why is that? I think it's simply because being around people that are different than us is hard. Because diversity is easy to put on a mission statement or on a value list, but it's much more difficult to integrate into our everyday lives. I think what ends up happening a lot of times is we try to be just diverse enough to kind of satisfy the politically correct crowd or just diverse enough to kind of pacify our own conscience we do things like we try to find one friend that's a different color than us. And every time we hang out with them, we take lots of pictures and we put them on social media so that people can see, oh, look how diverse I am. We do that instead of having to truly enter into relationship and conversation with people who are different than us. So we do that and we feel a lot better about ourselves without having to do the hard work of really being around people who are different. And if you didn't really follow that whole explanation of pseudo-diversity that I just gave, fear not. We have brought in an expert to explain it to us. Christian Brimstone is back again today to help us figure out how to use diversity to make us look good without really having to be around people who are different than us. Take a look. 
Oh, hello. You caught me reading the good book. <laughs> I'm Christian Brimstone. Do you want to know how to be a Christian in the church? Are you tired of praying and reading your Bible to find the answers? <laughs> then you're in for a special treat. Today we're going to talk about family values, and they'll teach you the principles for Christian living in the church. Music and title screen. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that. Whoops. <laughs> okay. Welcome back to Family Values. I'm your host. <laughs> you know me by now. It's Christian Brimstone. <laughs> In today's lesson, we're going to talk all about diversity. Now, the key to diversity is finding someone who looks a little bit different from you, but is the same in every other way. I mean, you don't want to spend time with people who actually have different experiences and ideas because, well, that could lead to thoughtful and open-minded discussions. <laughs> who wants that? And you know what happens to people who are too open-minded. Their brain falls right on out of their head. When you are able to muster the courage it takes to do diverse things, make sure to take tons of pictures. Diversity doesn't really count unless people know about it. Now, over the last few years, the invention of the World Wide Webs has taken our country by storm. Now, you're dialing up to your AOL CD-ROMs, and you're, you're getting on your Netscapes, and your live journals, and your Napsters. You're playing on that MySpaces, and you show the whole internet world just how diverse your life really is. That's important. See, this maximizes the, the, the perception of diversity in your life without you actually having to spend too much time with people who are different than you. <laughs> Diversity really only counts when it's making you look good. Or as I like to say, diversity brings out the best in me. <laughs> now you're equipped to be a better Christian in the world. So you go get them, Christian soldier. Thanks, Pastor Brimstone. Uh, it's hilarious, but it's, it's kind of sad how true that video can be. Um, I'm about to get really convicting for a second, so just kind of prepare your heart, okay? I, I want you to know I'm not trying to say this to hurt your feelings um, or to shame anyone. That is not my intention, but I truly believe that most of us go out of our way not to have to spend time with or have conversations with people who are different from us. I truly believe that. Think about it. When was the last time you had a conversation about discrimination with someone from a different race? If you're a young person, when was the last time you sat down with a, a baby boomer or someone from the greatest generation and asked them what life was like when they were growing up? Have you ever had a conversation about poverty with someone who can't afford to eat? When's the last time you asked someone from the opposite sex what it's like to be their gender? How often do you read news media that is slanted away from your particular political persuasion? 
For the most part, we don't do these things because they're uncomfortable. It's so much easier to stay in our homogenous circles and have conversations with people who think and act the same way we do so that we can just kind of sit across from each other and affirm each other over and over again. But if we're really being honest, I think somewhere deep down, you're asking yourself and I'm asking myself and we're all wondering, what's really wrong with that though? Right? Is it so bad to want to have agreeable conversations with people? Is it so bad to want to spend time with people that we get along with? Is it so bad to just want to have easy relationships because we're the same as each other? Well, yes, it is so bad. It's so bad for you. It's so bad for our society. And I'm going to say that it is backwards from the kingdom of God. If you only like hanging out with people that are just like you, you are going to really hate heaven. Listen to Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne of the Lamb. If you only like hanging out with people that look and act and talk just like you, heaven's not going to be very much fun. What a beautiful picture of what life will look like after Jesus comes back and finishes his great mission of restoration. All different kinds of people from all different kinds of places with all different kinds of backgrounds, equal and together. Pretty diverse, huh? So if Revelation 7-9 is where we're going, the question becomes, how do we get there? What steps do we need to take today to pursue diversity in our lives? Well, first, we must recognize that we are all equal before God. This goes back to the passage that I read at the very beginning before we even started worship. In Genesis, we talked about how we are all created by God. We all bear his image. But it doesn't just stop there. This, this pattern of equality is throughout Scripture. In John 13, Jesus tells us that we are equal across class. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. Romans 2.11 says that God doesn't show favoritism, and James 2.1 tells us that we shouldn't either. For God does not show favoritism. My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. In Paul's letter to Timothy, he tells him that age should never cause inequality. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. But my very favorite, my very favorite comes from Galatians 3.28. Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In one sentence, Paul dismantles inequality around race, socioeconomic status, and gender. He says that doesn't work in Christ. We are all equal in him. It doesn't really get any clearer than that. And hear me, equality is so, so important. So, so important. But I think that many times it stops there. It stops with we're all just equal. 
You see, diversity isn't just about not showing favoritism or all of us being equal. True diversity is believing that we are actually better when we're together. What if we truly began to see each other as God does? The Bible says that we are God's masterpieces, his image bearers and his children. What if we didn't just tolerate our differences? What if we celebrated them? How would that change things for us? When we talk about having a family value of diversity here at Restore, this is exactly what we mean. Here's our value statement. It's on our website on diversity. God has made all of us different, but he has made all of us valuable. We believe that the church works best when we embrace and empower the differences around us. And just like all of our other values, we didn't just pull this idea out of thin air. No, it's, it's founded and it's rooted in scripture. I think the most clear place that we see that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles or your phones and you want to look there with me, you can take those out now, but the verses will also be on the screen behind me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 12. It says, the human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So let me clarify a couple of terms for you. The body of Christ is just another name for the church. Body of Christ means the church. And then this idea of being baptized by one spirit and given one spirit to drink is this idea of becoming a Christian and the Holy Spirit coming to indwell you. We believe that the moment you place your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. So that the idea of, of being baptized in one spirit is receiving Jesus. The idea of having one spirit to drink is actually the spirit coming and living and dwelling you. That's what he means. So Paul is saying that the body of Christ, the church, is united, is one in the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the same Holy Spirit lives inside of you as me and in every other Christian who is living, has lived, or ever will live. We are the same in that way. But in basically every other way, we are different. We have different gifts, different passions, different lifestyles, different backgrounds and experiences. We are different races, ethnicities, ages, and socioeconomic statuses. We're different. And using Paul's metaphor here, your unique combination of those things makes you a body part. And just like the human body, the body of Christ has many different parts that come together to make it one thing. So we have unity because of the Holy Spirit, and then we have diversity because of our personality traits, our choices, and our experiences. Paul is presenting this as a simple fact. He's saying kind of this is just the way it is, but he's about to explain why this fact is actually a beautiful, beautiful thing. He does so in verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, 
just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You may not particularly like the part that you are, but that doesn't make you any less a member of the body. And that's a really, really good thing because without each individual part, we wouldn't be a whole and healthy body. This was God's design for the body of Christ, the church, from the very beginning. All different kinds of people from all different kinds of places playing all different kinds of parts. We see that in the life of Jesus. He brought these 12 disciples around him. And a lot of times we just think like, oh, they were all kind of the same kind of guy, right? Well, that's not true. He had, he had low-class fishermen and high-class business owners. He had people who were zealots, which meant that they wanted to kill any Roman that they saw. They literally carried these blades with them everywhere they went. And if they saw a Roman or a Roman soldier just hanging out by themselves, they would go up and they would kill him. He had one of those and he also had a tax collector who worked for the Roman government. He, he, he represented this diversity in his little band of 12. And then we see this fully realized in Revelation 7, 9, in the kingdom of God to come in heaven. All nations, all tribes, all tongues, all languages together before the throne. One in Christ. But like we already mentioned, diversity is hard. Really embracing people who are different from us can cause tension and friction. And I think Paul knew this, right? I mean, he'd been around, he understood. He was a part of trying to integrate Jews and Gentiles at this time, two kinds of people who absolutely hated each other. So he knew what kind of friction it could cause. And sometimes that tension makes us want to retreat to our homogenous circles and leave diversity behind. Paul knows that we're like this. He anticipates it in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And that last line is so vitally important for us. The parts should have equal concern for each other. Why should we have equal concern for each other? Well, because of the two reasons we've already mentioned. First, we are all image bearers and God commands us over and over and over again to treat everyone with equality. That's number one. Second, it's because we are actually better when we are diverse. It goes beyond equality. It goes to celebrating our differences and realizing that we are better together. Now the question is how? How do we do this? Practically, in real life terms, not just talking about Paul's metaphor of the body and working together. I think that can be all well and good in our minds. And we think, yeah, it's, it's good to have a whole body and we all work together and that's great. But really practically in our everyday lives, how do we take steps toward pursuing diversity? As we've already said here at Restore, we believe God has made all of us different, but he has made all of us valuable. 
We also believe that the church works best when we embrace and empower. Remember those two words, embrace and empower the differences around us. So based on that statement, here's the question I want to spend the rest of our time together answering this morning. How do we embrace and empower the differences around us? How do we embrace and empower the differences around us? Two parts, embrace and empower. Embracing is the whole equality for everyone piece. That's embrace. Empower is the whole working together as one body piece. Equality and better together. Embrace and empower. And I believe that Paul answers both parts of our question in his last two verses. First, we embrace our differences by living out verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. If we are truly committed to pursuing equality for the people around us, no matter who they are or what, they do, what they've done, empathy is a really good first step. Putting yourself in the shoes of someone who is different from you, trying to see things from their perspective, just listening to them goes a really long way. Nothing deepens relationship between people who are different more than rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. It's like a marriage. The last two weekends in a row, I've had the privilege of officiating weddings. And my very favorite part of the ceremony is called the vows of intent. And it's this amazing part where I ask each person a series of questions about their commitment. And it goes kind of like this. Will you laugh with her and cry with her? Will you love her faithfully through the best and the worst? Will you stand by her through the difficult and the easy? And will you always be there no matter what comes? I've probably officiated 10 or so weddings in my life, and I don't think I've ever done one where people didn't tear up when we were asking those questions. Just knowing that another person is committing to laugh with you and to cry with you, to love you through the best and the worst, through the difficult and the easy, to always be there, no matter what comes, it moves us. It makes us weep with joy. It's love. It's real and true love. And let me give you an example of what this might look like as we embrace our differences, specifically as it relates to diversity. On Saturday night um, in a town outside of Dallas, uh, outside of Mesquite in a town called Box Springs, a group of African-American high school kids left a party after cops came to break it up. As they harmlessly drove away, a white police officer named Roy Oliver shot a rifle into their car three times and killed a 15-year-old kid named Jordan Edwards. I brought a picture of Jordan and his dad, Odell, with me today. Jordan was a straight-A student. He was beloved by his family, friends, teachers, and coaches. He hadn't been drinking that night. Neither had his two brothers who were with him in the car. They had no weapons, no drugs, no outstanding warrants, and gave the officer no reason to fire on them. After Jordan was killed, his brothers who were in the car with him were arrested and detained for hours at the police station. And originally, Roy Oliver, the officer, and the other officers reported that the car carrying Jordan was, quote, 
backing out aggressively at them. And that's why they fired on it. This was the official story. It was even the official story that the police department reported to the media. But all that changed when the body cam footage of Roy and another officer were reviewed. The video showed that the boys were driving harmlessly away from the party when Roy Oliver started firing a high-powered rifle at the car for no apparent reason. The police chief and the department reversed their official statement and Roy Oliver has now been arrested for murder. When I first read this story on Tuesday morning, I cried. And I cried for, for Jordan's brothers who have to spend the rest of their life every time they close their eyes, reliving the moment where they saw their brother murdered in front of them. I cried for Jordan's parents, his dad Odell and his mom Charmaine because they never get to really be whole again after losing their son. I cried because I remembered Alton Sterling, Tamir Rice, Freddie Gray, Walter Scott, and so many others. I felt so helpless. I think this story really got to me because so much of it was familiar. So much of it was familiar. And yet the end, I couldn't even begin to wrap my mind around. Being a 15-year-old kid is familiar to me. Loving sports and my family is familiar. Going to a party is familiar to me. Leaving when the cops get called is familiar to me. But having all of that culminate with a police officer firing a rifle into my car as I drive away is so shockingly unfamiliar that I can't even begin to make sense of it. Jordan Edwards was better than me. <laughs> he was better than me in every measurable way. He got better grades. He was better at sports. He was loved by his teachers and his coaches. He wasn't drinking at that party. And by all accounts, he was a tender-hearted and respectful young man. So why do I get to stand up here and talk to you this morning and Jordan doesn't? Why do I get to go have lunch and hang out with my family after church today but Jordan's family never gets to see him again. I am convinced it's because I'm white and he was black. You may not think that's true and that's okay. It is not my goal to convince you of that this morning. But you need to understand that 99% of the African-American community is convinced that this kid's murder and many other murders are precipitated by prejudice and racism. You need to understand that. I'm obviously not black, and neither are many of you. We don't understand what it's like to be black either. Most of us don't understand what it's like to be worried for our lives at a traffic stop. But if you truly listen to the vast majority of our African-American brothers and sisters, they will tell you that's exactly what they experience. And listen to me, we don't have to experience it or understand it to mourn with them, to cry with them. 
I didn't know what to do after reading Jordan's story on Tuesday morning, so I posted some thoughts about it on social media, and then I decided just to text some of my closest African-American friends. It wasn't anything profound. It was just a, it was a simple message, and it said, I'm so sorry. I'm weeping with you today. I just want you to know that I love you and that I'm praying for you and I'm here if you want to talk. That text didn't fix anything. It didn't bring justice for Jordan Edwards or peace to his family, but it let another child of God, a fellow image bearer, my brothers and my sisters know that I was weeping with them. That for just a second, I tried to put myself in their shoes and see what they see and experience what they experience. Sometimes you aren't going to be able to understand the inequality, much less fix it on your own, but that doesn't mean that you have to stay silent. It doesn't mean that you can't text or call a friend just to say, I love you and I'm crying with you today. And when justice is served or when equality is pursued, you can text and call and say, I'm rejoicing with you today because we are one. Because even though we are different parts, we belong to the same body. Even though we may look different, even though we may be different colors, we bear the same image of the same God. Nothing solidifies bonds across diverse lines more than truly listening to someone about what they experience and what they believe. Paul says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. When was the last time you suffered with someone? When was the last time you just entered in to someone's pain? We should be working to end inequality in our city, in our nation, and around the world, but that can feel so hopeless and so overwhelming. We can't always fix everything, but we can always let our brothers and sisters who are being treated unfairly, let us, we can let them know that we see them and that we weep with them. Because even though they may be different, we are all parts of the same body. We are one in Christ. We bear the same image of the same God. That's how we embrace our differences. That's the first part. We empower our differences by believing and enacting the last verse, verse 27. Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it. Paul uses a, a really cool grammatical technique here. The first you in the sentence is plural. The second you in the sentence is singular. So if he were here in Texas, it might read, now y'all are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Now y'all, all together, you all are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Without all of us, we aren't the full, healthy body of Christ. And that means that we need all different parts of people helping in all different ways. And I can tell you that we are really serious about this here at Restore. We don't elevate eyes above feet. We don't let only arms be on our leadership team or make all the toes set up and tear down. We do our best to go beyond seeing each part as equal and we try to start celebrating our differences. 
celebrating each part for what it uniquely brings to the table. And just like Galatians 3.28 says, we don't let race, gender, socioeconomic status, or background affect where you can serve or lead here at Restore. And it actually goes even deeper than that. If we feel like our leadership team or one of our service teams or anything like that is, is a little too homogenous, we will seek to diversify it. If we feel like only one race or age or gender or socioeconomic status is being represented, we will look for representation from other places. Why? Because we are really better together. I'm sure that, I'm gonna talk about a lot of things that I'm not this morning. I'm not black, I'm also not a woman. I don't understand what it's like to be a woman, but I know that for most of the women in this room, you have been a part of organizations that every shot was called by men, that every decision was made by men and it affected you and it wasn't fair and your voice wasn't ever heard. And I can tell you with confidence that they made worse decisions without you because they excluded 50% of the population when making decisions. That's just, it's ridiculous doesn't make any sense. We believe that we are better together. We are better when we have all the parts of the body represented and working together. We are better when we are diverse. God has made all of us different, but he has made all of us valuable. We have differences in race, ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic status, education, abilities, struggles, shortcomings, personalities, and passions. And we truly believe that those differences are something to be embraced and empowered. Have you ever heard the term melting pot? It's where you take all these ingredients and you heat them all up and you put them together and you mix them all up and, the, and out comes this kind of homogeneous mixture we're not trying to be a melting pot here at Restore. We're trying to be a salad bowl. Instead of trying to blend all the diversity together and make it one big homogenous mix, we want to let all of our differences shine as we embrace and empower diversity. What would it look like if we as individuals and our church as a whole really pursued this kind of diversity? Well, I think Paul made it pretty clear. If we have the unity that comes from the Holy Spirit. And we have the diversity that comes with embracing and empowering our differences. We will experience the beautiful and unstoppable, healthy body of Christ. There's nothing like it. So I'm just gonna leave you with one question this morning and we'll be done. What part of the body are you? What is your unique combination of talents, passions, experiences and characteristics. Whatever it is, we need you. We need you. You are a body part. I'm not gonna say which one. I mean that in the sweetest possible way. You are a body part and our body of Christ here at Restore needs you to be the best that it can be. I'm about to pray and then we're gonna be dismissed. But if you're interested in learning more about jumping into this body, about being at a place where your differences, where what makes you, you, are not just tolerated, but they're embraced and empowered. Oh, we would really like to talk to you. If you know what body part you are and where you fit, 
come be a part of our family. So if you want to step into that, if you want to just explore where the church might have needs that you can help with, where you might want to volunteer, where you might want to serve, whatever it looks like, we want you to do that. And so right up the stairs, as soon as we dismiss, I'll be standing there. We'll be in the Connection Center as well. Just come back there. And we want to have a conversation. We want to meet you. We want to celebrate you the way that God has made you. And if you want to, no pressure, but if you want to, we want to not only embrace those differences, but we want to empower them and send them out for God's kingdom here at Restore, here in the city of Austin and all around the world. We need you. We promise to do our very best to embrace and empower you, no matter our differences. So let me pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you just for the way that you, you love us so much that even sometimes you love us enough to let us know when we're a little bit off track, when we're doing something that's not good for us. We're not living the best way that we can. And God, you make it abundantly clear in your word that embracing and empowering our differences is your plan for us. God, it's not only clear from your commands, but it's clear from the picture of the perfection of heaven that you paint. All tribes, tongues, nations, languages together as one. God, I know that we won't always get it right, but I pray, God, I pray that we would take steps toward pursuing diversity here at Restore. And not only that, but also in our personal lives. It would be more than just taking pictures of someone of a different color and posting them on Facebook, but it would be real, open-minded conversations that it would be true empathy, that we would rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, even when we haven't experienced it, even when we don't understand it. Jesus, use us to bridge gaps, to bring wholeness and equality and empowerment to the things that divide us. Help us celebrate our differences because that's what you did. And that's what you continue to do through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.